Sid Smoltz, the old song and dance, comes to Hamilton, New Hampshire. Sid Smoltz, need I say any more? What's that you say? You don't know Sid Smoltz? Oh, you will. Sid Smoltz, shaking my head. A big man with a big head. Nobody's ever been arrested for a murder. They've only been arrested for not planning it properly. Terry Hayes, I am Pilgrim. Motives for murder, envy, hatred, anger, pressure, revenge, greed. I'm sure you could add another dozen motives for murder and all reduce this down to the removal of competition. Yes, competing with the ego of another. How many murders have there been in Hamilton, New Hampshire and the surrounds? The first inclination when thinking about the number of murders in this small town would be to begin stammering like a drunken fool. But rest assured, suspension of disbelief has been inoculated into more area citizens than the COVID-19 vaccine in the United States, especially Matthias Jones. More than anyone, when there's a murder, Jones slips into his side road theory mode and treats each murder as if it were the first murder ever. Where is Sid? Sid Smoltz doesn't appear right away. The only reason he does appear is because he went to school with Lark Larson at Kokomo U. Lark is the cheapest man on the planet. Lark needs a lawyer and fancies himself not paying a cent to his old friend, Sid Smoltz. Shaking my head again. Even if you're a Stooges fan, the following concept is universal. The crazy thinking that they're not crazy and doing collateral damage. In the plumbing we will go, the Stooges are penniless chicken thieves who become plumbers. If you're woke, that's not funny. But remember, I asked you to suspend disbelief, and I will now request that laughter be appropriate. It's okay to laugh. Twice as nice plumbing. Funeral March for the Maestro doesn't begin with the murder. As an out-of-towner, Jones gets snookered by Mookie and Cookie Bisbane of twice as nice plumbing. They are literally destroying the plumbing system in Jones's colonial on the common. Making matters worse is that the bizarre-looking Bisbanes are identical twins. Jones, trying to relax in the middle of summer, can't wait to get away from these screwballs to his baseball camp at the college. Being a little different is listed on most Hamilton residents' resumes. But there's a catch, which I strongly want to impart, because there have been many times when we assign all kinds of sibilants to people, when in reality everyone has something to offer. It's a matter of finding that something and not dwelling on preconceived clashes with your own assumptions. So, where's the murder fitting? Right next to the ball field, of course, in proximity of Jones. I remember my cousin, when I first began the Jones series, asking me why Jones was involved in the murder investigation. In this case, having him right there at the time of the murder is one reason. The music conservatory is inside the Shaker barn, beyond left field. As the camp practice moves forward, Jones is harassed by the town's leading harasser, Arnie Dewars and then Bucky Driscoll, who shows up after the murder. Lurking in the immediate area at the time of the murder is Jones' predecessor, the not-all-held-together Lark Larson, now a prime suspect. Let's listen in on what will prove just another fatal morning of murder, mayhem, and monkey business in Hamilton, New Hampshire. Suspects. To know who done it, one must know about those around the victim. Husband of Helga Nussbaum, father of Bernice Nussbaum, who is the estranged wife of a man named Steve Corbett, once convicted of assault and now, and now a suspect because he was in the area working for the college. Corbett is a bit slow, possibly because of an injury in the service. 
The maestro was close to Mayor Picard's wife, Lenore, a patron of the arts. He was also an associate of Mick Dumas, the Mick Dumas Quartet, who play at Club Max and Prince William. And then there's Rex, Nussbaum's dog. Many people in Hamilton have their own wacky theories about who committed the murder. It's probably a good idea for Jones to consider all options. To assume otherwise may overlook the obvious. I'm doomed, I'm doomed, I'm doomed, I tell you. With beloved Lark Larson in jail and in an emotional turmoil, Jones begins to study what happened inside the conservatory. Nussbaum owed money to Lark for his new Steinway piano. He learns from Bernice that Steve Corbett knew that the maestro was in the conservatory that morning. Jones wonders if the gun went off by accident and Lark panicked before he raced into the parking lot. When he finds Lenore Picotta snooping around the conservatory windows, Jones begins a battery of questions. Then comes the twists and turns and more murders. And what about Mick Dumas, whose contract at the college was not renewed by Newsbaum and is now preparing to move out of town? Sid Smoltz to the rescue. When I first wrote Matthias Jones, the series was very serious. It's not that I thought humor would add a dimension to the series and make it unique. The characters just seeped into the story and the town like gummy characters in an R.L. Stein story. The small town animated characters overtook the series structure. My hometown had dozens of characters, albeit not as wacky as some of the ones I've created. Yet, and I'm not kidding, there were people in our town years ago when I was growing up who were very unique individuals, all with nicknames. And I'm an unabashed child of TV. I watched exaggerated and stereotypical characters abounding in dozens of situation comedies, most set in a specific location. In Matthias Jones series, there are normal characters such as Matthias Jones and George Strickland. The quirky locals just don't realize why Jones isn't on the same page. What universe is this? An example of this is the spin-off series Green Acres. Eddie Albert is a reasonable person, a New York lawyer, yet Albert is the one who seems like the uninformed dummy. Bernard Fox was a bull in the china shop character as Dr. Bombay and Bewitched and Colonel Crittenden and Hogan's heroes in the middle of World War II. Hogan's plot survived despite the comedic interference. Colonel Crittenden was 100% sure he was right, yet no one else seemed to realize this. Sidney V.D. Smoltz, Lark's attorney, is arrogant, sloppy, and loud. With Jones trying to clear Lark, Smoltz just pushes his way into the investigation. I guess Smoltz can be lumped into these humorous characters also. Jones questions Mick Dumas at Club Max. Coco doesn't make it into the book until Jones visits Club Max, always under the eye of the attractive BB. With Locke's antics, Bucky and Arnie are trying to solve the crime. With Smoltz's obstruction, Jones has his hands full, not to mention Hamilton Fletcher's interference. Controlling the town and the college and the money from Fletcher Hill is Hamilton Fletcher. Having the Fletchers atop Mount Olympus, a.k.a. Fletcher Hill, is actually a critical part of the Jones series. Hamilton Fletcher is savvy, smart, and substantial. He's easily triggered, only he can do something about it. Bucky Driscoll, in particular, sets him off. There's an additional reason for that. Enter Sid Smoltz. And what about Sid Smoltz? He's worth every penny that Locke didn't have to pay for his services. There's a reason why Sid isn't practicing law down south. Don't hire this guy. RPF.